Today on Ag News Daily. I would say one of the biggest things that we continually hear is just the, about the lack of talent available, particularly when you look at farm numbers shrinking and becoming large. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is another rainy day here in central Iowa. And it sounds like it's been a rainy couple of weeks here over the Corn Belt, especially. We saw yesterday's crop progress report come out. Mike, you and I took a little wager on yesterday's podcast, didn't we? We sure did. And, you know, we said whoever was closest to within 1% buys mm-hmm. the other lunch. We both get out of buying lunch. Yes, because we specifically talked about Illinois since they'd been seeing the brunt of it all. They were 11% last week. This week they were at 24%. And you, I believe, wagered 26 and I wagered, wagered 20. So just in the middle there. Yeah, you know, it's it's probably not surprising to a lot of our listeners that I overestimated. You know, I am a man. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Overcompensate, right? overestimate. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll just leave it yeah, at that. I, hey, 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 <laughs> hey. Overestimate's very different than overcompensate, oh, Delaney. okay. Oh, gosh. But, yeah, so that was the uh, that was the headline number yes. out of there. Illinois just still under a quarter percent or a, a quarter planted in their corn plantings. Ordinarily, I believe they're at 89 mm-hmm. percent following the week of May 20th. So this was this was a bit of a blow. And still the U.S. under 50 percent, total yes. of 49 percent planted in the U.S. That is a big delay. We saw the markets respond. Both corn and soybeans and wheat all rallied on the news in the overnight trade. And then We'll talk about it when we get to the markets. Uh, soybeans and wheat pulled back pretty strongly, and corn, uh, well off the highs, in fact, but uh, still, still in the green at least for the day. Yeah, still up six cents, I believe. Closed high on the higher on the day, but yeah, definitely saw some reaction there. Um, beans were at nineteen percent planted, which usually for this time of year, I'm looking here, they are at about forty seven percent planted by this time. Yeah, so running behind as well. But we had some news come out that is probably going to encourage a lot more producers to get out there and get in the fields. Mm -hmm. And this was reported by Reuters coming out of the White House. Apparently, we don't have this confirmed yet, but apparently the Trump administration is considering payments of $2 per Mm -hmm. bushel for soybeans this marketing year, uh, $0.63 a bushel per wheat and $0.04 per bushel for corn as part of the MFP, the market facilitation payments round two to uh, compensate growers for this ongoing trade war. Those are some big numbers. Yes. Now, all of a sudden, instead of selling some, you know, $8 cash beans, that, that now you're selling $10 cash beans. Now things are, are starting to pencil pretty well for a lot of producers. And it's interesting um, that this comes kind of right at the time when Prevent Plant is on the mind of a lot of folks nearing the deadline. We're going to talk about that tomorrow, kind of the options you have with Prevent Plant. But one market analyst, I'm not going to call them out too specifically, just in case they don't want to be. But I was reading some market commentary that said, this is very funny how this new or proposed rumored payment is coming out just in time for when prevent plant acres are also, the deadline is also nearing the corner there. So, I mean, regardless, the government would have to pay for it. But uh, in regards to that specific, you know, bailout package number two, the question that we still don't know yet, and none of the articles that I've seen reported on this are speculating yet, is whether or not that 
this payment is going to be based on a historical average of planting planted acres and county yields, or if it's just going to be off of one year's production like it was last year. Yeah, yeah. So a lot remains to be seen. Of course, these numbers need to be confirmed yet. We'd have to see the USDA officially propose this. Um, as of now, I believe it is just a Reuters story. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's actually, I saw it on Reuters, Bloomberg, and AgriPulse today. So it oh, sounds like okay. the market is picking it up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're all we're all paying attention to what's going on. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk prevent plant. Is four cents going to be enough to uh, keep farmers from taking prevent plant? Maybe on the corn side. Will it be enough on the soybean side? I got to imagine two bucks a bushel if they tie it to one year's production. I, that's going to get some folks fired up to probably be seeding beans all the way into July. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Not that we need beans, but uh, could definitely happen. Uh, you know, that's the concern that I think a lot of folks have when you deal with with these kind of government payments specifically tied to production is, you know, the markets out here telling us maybe we need to cut back our soybean mm-hmm. acreage. And then the government comes in and says, nope, here's now you're profitable again. Get out there and plant as many beans as you can. I, it, it, it certainly sends some mixed signals to producers, I think is probably a charitable way to put it. Some mm-hmm. might also say it's picking winners and losers. I think that I would agree with that statement. And it's interesting that you mentioned that picking winners and losers. Um, I shared this article on our Facebook page. I don't think on our Twitter page yet. And I'm pulling up the article right now. But uh, essentially in Worthington, Minnesota, there's a JBS plant there. They are in the process of buying up quite a bit of pork and they have had nine government contracts to buy pork since the beginning of this year at a total cost of $62 million in taxpayer money. So they're essentially, you know, using uh, whatever program that would be to buy extra pork. But because of the way that we've seen, you know, help structured from the government, producers aren't necessarily getting this money passed back on to them. So JBS has been able to take advantage of the, you know, the shortage that we've seen because of African swine fever. And um, they've also been noted to underpay cattle producers. So now it looks like they're turning the tables here to underpay pork producers as well. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's been a a lot of brouhaha about this. So mm-hmm. part of this this money that JBS is using is from the exact same market facilitation right. program that we see used in corn, soybeans, and wheat. The difference is that on the, the grain side, the money goes direct to the producer. On the meat side, USDA is taking this money. They're using it to buy finished product that I assume they're then distributing to schools or the needy or hospitals or the VA or, or something. I mean, obviously, this meat is going somewhere that the government is buying. But they're buying the finished product, which means it has to go through a packer or a processor. Mm-hmm. And of course, JBS is Brazilian, Smithfield is Chinese, uh, you know, very of the big four. Two of them are American. And uh, all four of them were slated to be to get these government contracts because all four of them buy from producers in different parts of the country, so on and so forth. Um, there was a big uproar in Congress. Smithfield's contracts were cut because we didn't want any money going to China. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're using this program to pay off losses from the trade war, why in the world would we be giving money to a Chinese company, et cetera, et cetera? But JBS, because 
it's JBS US, which is the American-owned subsidiary of JBS SA, the Brazilian company, um, they were still able to receive these payments. And now Congress, last I heard, which would have been Friday, is starting to take a look at these contracts again to determine, you know, whether or not this is the right way to do it. But if they're buying finished product, they got to buy it from a packer. Right. But the argument, so I, I guess, I, is $62 million in bailout money is what they're according to JBS alone. Right, right. I believe the total uh, that I read on Friday, and listeners, uh, don't take this as gospel. I do not have the article handy. I believe it was about uh, $2 billion has been mm. spent with packers and processors purchasing finished meat product that includes JBS, does not include Smithfield, um, includes Cargill and Tyson as well. So that's that's if I remember correctly. And I, you know, I, think, I could be wrong. I've been I wrong think, a time or two well, in my life before. I think that sounds right, though. I'll go it to you. All right. Well, I've got some other news. You know, it, we're talking about uh, picking winners and losers. Tariffs are a way to do that. We have decided to make Chinese producers the losers in exchange. The idea is we're making American producers the winners. Um, it doesn't always work out that way. We've seen this happen with the, the cost of steel. We've seen this happen with the cost of with of all sorts of things. However, one place, one area of America's farmers genuinely are winners under this scheme, and that is California garlic growers. Hmm. Um, apparently, Chinese garlic has been uh, really pushing its way into the U.S. market for the past, uh, well, past decade at least, since China joined the WTO. And one of the products that has been targeted for tariffs has been Chinese garlic, and that has raised its price considerably. And so now consumers are buying U.S. garlic because it is cheaper. And uh, the vice president of Christopher Ranch, which is a well, it is the largest of the three remaining commercial garlic producers in the U.S. This guy's name is Ken Christopher. He said, quote, in a perfect world, we'd love to see the tariffs stay on forever, end quote, which is not a quote you're going to hear from most commodity organizations. But the garlic side, you know, they're coming out winners on this deal. I have to admit, um, I love garlic and my boyfriend makes fun of me because essentially when I'm like, oh, it needs flavor, I just add garlic to it almost always. Yeah, garlic and Tabasco sauce. Those are the only two <laughs> things you need, and every food you make will taste delicious. I agree. I do agree Except there. Don't use it in a cake or in cookies. Yeah, nothing sweet. I want garlic in or Tabasco. All right. All right. All right. Good. I just wanted to make sure that you know we were on the same page. We are. We are. Perfect. Well, I've got just one other piece of news, and again, I apologize, everybody. It's more friggin' trade news, mm -hmm. but. It is uh, perhaps some good news. Christia Freeland, the foreign minister of Canada, said now that the uh, Section 232 tariffs on steel and aluminum have been lifted, um, Canada is, quote, full steam ahead on signing USMCA, NAFTA 2.0. And she said that because one of the remaining obstacles continues to be opposition by U.S. Democrats, uh, they're concerned about the labor and the environment and some of the other uh pieces in the USMCA, she, Canada's foreign minister, is going to be making direct appeals to Democrats in the U.S. to try and get them on board with hmm. passing USMCA. Uh, we don't see that happen very often no. where foreign leadership takes an interest in domestic politics, but because, of course, USMCA, Canada just doesn't want to see NAFTA go away, which is where this could go with this president. They really want to have a backup in place, and so they're going to be pushing for uh, for its passage with, uh, you know, 
I suppose, Pelosi and Schumer and all the other uh, U.S. Democrats that have some concerns. Well, that's very interesting. I thought so. I thought it was it, just very different. And it we'll is. just have to see how it works out. Yes. And I have another piece of trade news, a little more optimistic trade news as well. President Donald Trump is heading to Japan this weekend, and Robert Lighthizer is expected to accompany him to discuss trade and U.S. a U.S.-Japanese trade agreement with their new, uh, with their new, the country's new emperor. And so they're also scheduled to not only go this weekend and talk trade, but they're also, of course, going to return to Japan for the Group of 20 Summit in Osaka next month. So it sounds like they are moving full steam ahead on U.S.-Japanese trade relations as well. And in both of those meetings, if President Trump and Robert Lighthizer have their head on straight, they will be consuming American beef mm. in Japan, which now has no restrictions. That's true. Good point. They better be. Although, I got to tell you, <laughs> um, I know a lot of our listeners are big fans of the president, and I can respect that. But I know, and I've seen reported, that our president eats his steak well done. With and I, on it. I, I've got to tell you, if, if anything could cost Trump the 2020 election, uh, if that news right there, that is that is terrifying. <laughs> and he puts ketchup on it is what I heard. Yes, yes, that is that's what they say. And so, President Trump, if if these facts aren't correct, we would love to have you come on the Ag News Daily <laughs> podcast and set the record straight. Mm -hmm. I hope this was hashtag fake news. Me too. And uh, and, and frankly, we need to get him out to to cattle feeding country in Nebraska and Kansas and in Iowa and let him eat some delicious corn fed beef prepared right, which, of course, is medium rare. Yes, agreed. All right. Well, Delaney, I am pretty much out of news. Do you have I any other news for us today? Uh, I think I'm good for today. Fantastic. Well, let's jump into the market, see how this weather market tends to move in corn. And folks, again, we've got a great rally on. We've got some great selling opportunities. If you are concerned about how best to market in a volatile weather year, call our friends at the Zaner Group. You can give them a shout at 312-277-0050. They have a fantastic team of analysts and brokers who will help get you on the right foot and manage your marketing risk. You can also reach them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, corn continues to rally. July contract up five and a quarter at three ninety four and a quarter. December new crop up six cents. Finished the day at four ten and a half. Soybeans pulled back hugely or bigly after the earlier rally in the day. The July contract dropped nine and three quarter cents to finish at eight twenty two even. November new crop down nine and a quarter. Closed the day at eight forty eight and a half. And wheat also well off the day's highs, but still ended in the green. The July contract was up half a cent at four seventy eight and three quarters. September up three quarters of a penny to finish at 486 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, live cattle saw some weakness today. June live cattle down 50 cents at 110.85. The August contract down 25 cents, finished at 108.2750. In feeder cattle, the August was off a dollar 77 and a half, closed at 143 even. SEP was down a dollar 70 at 144.1750. And lean hogs saw that weakness accelerate. The June contract was down a dollar 65 at 90.10. July down a dollar 62.50 to finish the day at 91.30. Thirty-seven and a half, and in the dairy market, we saw the May contract unchanged on the day. We are getting close to expiration there in the May. It finished at sixteen twenty-nine, with the June down eleven at sixteen forty. Now, for our hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion, we're going to have a conversation with Erica Osmondson from AgCareers.com. 
Well, folks, a lot of you know on Tech Tuesday, we spend a lot of time talking about what's happening with technology in the fields. Today, we're going a different route because, of course, the industry of agriculture is more than just turning the dirt black. There's all of the support people and everything that goes into making our world turn. And so today, we're going to look at how technology has changed the world of hiring in the ag career space. And we've got just the person to talk ag careers with us, Erica Osmondson, the Director of Marketing at agcareers.com. Erica, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm excited to be here. Well, why don't you give us, for our listeners who aren't familiar with agcareers.com, why don't you tell us what it is you guys do? Sure. So um, agcareers.com is an online job board for the agriculture industry. Uh, we really focus on connecting job seekers with employment opportunities in the space of agriculture, food, natural resources, and biotechnology. Um, we are very fortunate to have grown kind of beyond the job board to some extent to provide some different solutions to both our job seeker audience as well as our employer audience when it comes to recruitment and retention in the agriculture space. Well, though, let's dig into that in a little more detail because, of course, we saw a tremendous increase in farm prices. You know, everything surrounding agriculture mm -hmm. got hot 2008 through 2013. Now that is pulling back a little bit, what are some of the challenges your employer audience has seen in attracting and retaining uh, the top quality talent? Yeah, I would say one of the biggest things that we continually hear is just the, about the lack of talent available. Particularly when you look at farm numbers shrinking and becoming larger, you have less and less of that younger farm population coming up the ranks. And so, um, you know, they're, they're having to look at uh, young people that maybe don't come from an agriculture background or those that do are really a hot commodity and getting snatched up um, by some of the industry suppliers, the vendors, employers from that perspective. And so, you know, I think one of the things is obviously the lack uh, of, of true talent that is available. And unfortunately, it's not just an agriculture thing. It's kind of across most industry sectors. And so um, we as an industry have got to do a really good job of trying to retain those young people and keep them um, in our in our field. Um, the other thing that I would say we hear a lot about is just um, how that's translated into the need to retain employees. And so, in fact, for our annual conference this year, m many of our topics kind of evolve and revolve around um, retention and how do we keep the good people that we do have, how do we train them up, create them into leaders um, so that we can uh, continue with the day-to-day -day process. So those are two really big ones. And I think even on a more broad scale, because we are dealing with a smaller um, audience that maybe is, is, you know, one step away from the farm, uh, is just kind of helping the general public understand what the variety of career opportunities are within agriculture. Um, obviously, production ag is huge, and it's the backbone of our industry, but we have so many other uh, job opportunities that maybe aren't associated with ag careers when you you know talk with the general public about it. And so that's something that I think from an ag careers perspective and the job board perspective, it's been really cool for people, both young and experienced professionals, to be able to come in and see what types of opportunities are available in the industry. Well, let's talk about that from an employee or a prospective employee's uh, perspective. <laughs> 
prospective employee's perspective. I'll get this figured out. Um, <laughs> when I get on agcareers.com, I'm, let's say, just graduated from college. I've got an econ degree, not ag-related, yeah. but I'm just casting a wide net for jobs. How does agcareers.com help me identify opportunities in the world of the wide world of agriculture and life sciences? Sure. Well, to start with, um, I will take even a step back a little bit further. So say you aren't sure what you want to do within the agriculture space, um, but you think there's some potential. We've actually, with the help of FSA, uh, created over 250 different career profiles that outline mm. a variety of career opportunities in the agriculture space. And so they're a really good education tool for our youth, but then also those that maybe are a little bit more experienced and just don't have that wide net uh, vision. And so you can take a look and see what kinds of uh, education you need, what types of opportunities there might be. And so that's just a really great starting resource. From there, the site is super easy to use. It's very intuitive. You put in a keyword such as econ, or if you have a particular title, role, um, that you might be interested in, say, merchandiser. Um, you can type those keywords in. You can add a location if you really are you know, bound to a specific location. Hit the search button, and it's going to pop up all sorts of different results for you. And we have employers all across the gamut from large corporations. Um, some of our partners include people like BASF, Cargill, ADM, and many others, all the way down to a family farm that might be looking for a farm operator or a ranch hand. Um, so, And kind of everything in between. And across the U.S. and Canada, we do have quite a few global positions because we do work with some of the bigger industry giants that have global opportunities as well. So there is some international opportunity there. But from there, you just can open each of the jobs that look of interest, and if it's um, something you want to apply to, you click the apply button. In a lot of the cases, you're going to be directed off to the company's um, applicant tracking system just to finish the process. We'll capture a little data for you, too, and make sure then that the employer has that. But in other instances, it goes right to the hiring manager, and they can look through it and determine if they're going to follow up with you or not. I'll be darned. Now, is it something you guys keep track of, how many folks have found jobs through agcareers.com? It's a little hard for us to close that loop because of kind of different time frames and things. Oh, sure. um, but I can tell you, you know, time frames and closing of jobs and, and getting our employers to report back on that. You know, we've got some employers that are posting hundreds of jobs at one point in time. So for them to keep track of all that, it's a little bit more challenging. What I can tell you is that we've got about um, – you know, anywhere from five to 6,000 jobs on the site at any given time. Um, and then we are usually seeing um, about five to 6,000 applications pass through the site on any given month. So Wow. So big numbers, yeah. really. There, there is still yeah. a lot of interest in folks working in agriculture. Yeah, yeah. It's a great industry to be a part of. I think, you know, we definitely see the ups and downs um, from an industry perspective, but from a uh, overall look at it, people need to eat. People need to be clothed, and that's what our industry does. And so um, we're in a great spot because to make that happen, we need great talent too. And so we feel really privileged to be able to help people find those connections. 
Absolutely. Now, I want to circle back a little bit. You said that AgCareers.com started as a job board, of course, just a place for folks to post listings and receive uh, applications. But now you continue to grow. You continue to put more oomph into the site. Tell us what you have built up and and what the future might hold for AgCareers.com. Sure, you bet. Um, So uh, just changing with the times a little bit and looking at some of you know, what others are doing out in the space, um, we're finding that, you know, we the, the candidate connection is really key, particularly in such a tight labor market. And so really trying to make those connections and do what we can to help the candidate find and almost more of that matchmaker feel. So um, helping them, you know, with alerts and being alerted when jobs that they might be interested in uh, come available, we'll let them know. Reaching out to them if we think they might be a good fit for something that we've seen, some of our higher level roles. Um, We have a compensation benchmark product. And so we work with a variety of employers to benchmark most of the industry jobs and kind of see where those things are at. Um, Currently, that is an employer product, and you have to participate to be able to access that. Um, But we can use that a little bit to uh, guide and help some of our job seeker audience as well. Um, and we and do a real lot quick, of. Erica, oh, go when ahead, you sure. say when you say benchmarking, are we talking salary benchmarks? So we've got an idea for yes. pay ranges. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yep. So we're taking a look at uh, salaries kind of across the board. It's awesome because it can be broken down by industry sector, um, by commodity. It's geographically uh, able to be broken down, and then we're taking a look um, at benefits uh, as well. So it's not just straight baseline um, salary. So there's a lot of variables to that product that make it very valuable um, for employers that are looking to hire and making sure that they're staying competitive. Gotcha. Fascinating. So it is is ever-changing. It is. It is ever-changing. But, you know, um, as a a not-so-large business, it's great that we can be nimble and really hopefully help meet the needs of both our employer clients and our job seeker clients. All right. So now for the job seekers, it's fairly easy just to go to agcareers.com and get started. If I'm an employer, and I know we have several employers who tune into the podcast, what's the process like from their end to get signed up and get jobs posted and hopefully attract some uh, quality talent? <laughs> sure. Um very simple too um, and quite similar to our job seekers. Um, you're just going to go to the website and determine if you are a job seeker or an employer. If you're an employer, you'll set up an employer account. That triggers a notice to go out to your account rep who will then follow up with you. Um, you don't even really have to talk with that account rep to get started though because you can go ahead and do an online purchase to post some jobs and, and get them up and going. Um, easy if you have a job description available to you. If you don't, we can certainly help with that. Um, but as long as you've kind of got your ducks in a row when you get started um, with that job description, it's a one, two, three process and, and you're set to go. Um, advertising rates are simple. They're a one-time fee uh, per job. If you want to look at one of the, you know, if you think you're going to have multiple jobs, you can uh, purchase packages and bring that cost per posting down. The costs very uh, minimal. It's 375 for a single posting, and they just get cheaper 
as you go and buy multiples. And so, uh, yeah, pretty simple for the employers, too. And our account reps are amazing. They'll do a great job of following up, talking you through some of those additional products and services that we can offer to really uh, enhance your your experience. Fantastic. Folks, check them out, agcareers.com. If you are looking for uh, for somebody in the world of agriculture, there's a lot of folks out there, and it's just the part of putting them the, the right people with the right people to make some magic happen and to keep our industry gr growing. Erica Osmondson, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks again, Mike. I appreciate it. All right. Well, there we've got it, folks. Technology is being used both in the field and in the, I guess, HR person's office at the <laughs> companies around the world as they look to, to fill these positions with uh, with ag people. And uh, at Ag Career is a good place to do it, Delaney. I think that it sounds like it uh, definitely is. If you're looking for a change or maybe an addition, if you think farming might not be quite as profitable this year and you need a little change up, Ag Careers is definitely a great resource. I've used it before to look at internships and jobs, so it's always there. Absolutely. And we are always there on the World Wide Web. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. It'll take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. You can check out all of our past episodes as well as episodes of all of our partner podcasts, various other affiliates on the Global Ag Network. These are podcasts that cover the gamut ranging from, well, just about anything you can think of in agriculture to just fun stuff that'll help you kill time while you're waiting on the rain to stop so you can get back <laughs> out in the field. Absolutely. You can always interact with us. We want to see your photos. How flooded are your yeah. fields? Tweet at us at Ag News Daily, or you can shoot us a message on Facebook. Just search for Ag News Daily. We'll be right there. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.